Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. Indie Game Business has one of the longest-running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. What's up, everybody? My name's Indy, and this is Indie Game Business. The gentleman I have sitting right next to me, that's Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting. And over here on the other end, we have Elena. How do you say your last name? Lobova. 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 Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. And what are we talking about today, today Jay? BizDev, networking, and marketing. All, all that and whatever else we come up with in, in the meantime. So <laughs> you know how the show goes. Yeah. So Alina, welcome to you know, Indie Game Business. I appreciate you you are taking some time to come out and, and chat with us today. Uh, I met Alina in Poland at the Game yep. Industry Conference a few months ago, and so we got to talking. And she's got a ridiculously awesome background, and she's founded Achievers Hub, which is a, a great resource, especially for for Eastern European developers on the indie side. And so we'll get into all of that. But but first and foremost, Alina, tell us how you got into the industry and walk us through what you've done up to this point. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having. I'm really honored to be here on your podcast. And yeah, the story about how I got to the industry is actually quite funny because I've been in the industry since the very beginning. This is the only industry in. Um, well, probably I'll start from my background. Uh, I was born and raised in a small Ukrainian industrial city called in the east of Ukraine. Uh, it's unfortunately now notorious because of the war conflict with Russia, but back, back then, 30 years ago, it was a nice, peaceful city, and this is where I got a degree in computer science. I'm a master of computer science, I always liked programming. Uh, computers, but uh, also I always liked communications, talking to people, public appearances. That's why being in university, I was always involved in some extra activities. And one of these activities, international students nonprofit, it's called ISEC. Maybe some of you who listen to us know this organization. Uh, our main goal was to uh, provide opportunities for youth to explore and develop their leadership potential, so develop, make different social projects, uh, cultural exchange between different countries. And uh, in this organization, I was responsible for fundraising. Uh, I was responsible for securing some sponsorships and partnerships so we could make this project happen. And uh, this is how I met a young entrepreneur back in my city. 
uh, he was just a couple years older than me, but he was already a founder of a small uh, game development company called iLogos. And uh, I involved them as the sponsors to one of our projects uh, because they were actively looking for new employees and we helped them find some new employees among the students we worked with. Everybody was happy with this partnership, uh, but it was not the end of, of our story because in a couple months, uh, this founder of the company, he just approached me and he um, hey, you're, you're, you're uh, still a student, yeah, right? And I was like, yeah, I've completed my master's in a couple months. Uh, and he said, do you have any plans on what to do next? Um, I was, no, I didn't know. I, I really didn't know back then. I was considering different options for my future, but I had not planned 100%. Uh, so he basically offered me to join his small back then team of uh, 30 people and help him grow the team. And I agreed. And uh, this is how my very first paid job was a COO, Chief Operational Officer. I became a COO at the age of 21. Well, I was a Chief Operational Officer without an operational office back then. It was just me and our founder and developers and artists. But uh, we were very ambitious and uh, we grew the company quite fast. And it was a crazy. This is how I got into games, and I never actually left the industry since then. So after you, you left iLogos, you founded Achievers Hub. So tell us a little yeah. bit about that and, and why you did it, because you and I are very much on the same page with, with the need, but I, I want to hear why you did it and, and how it's going and all that kind of good stuff. Okay, yeah, well, actually... Um, I'll probably also mention that I spent six years at iLogos, quite a long period of time. And this company was an outsourcing game development company, uh, which was which made a lot of sense because we were in Ukraine and we had a lot of talent, but the company was quite slow, was quite low, so uh, our prices were very affordable our like uh, buyers and um, but at some point I realized that outsourcing is not something that fulfills my ambition I didn't want to be a CEO of an outsourcing company for my entire life I wanted to do something more meaningful I wanted to more difference in the industry and uh, after I left iLogos, I spent some time just like reflecting on what to do next. I organized a couple conferences, consulted some companies, but I was what would be my next step. And uh, during this period, I met a lot of amazing, talented indie developers who had amazing games. But they, uh, what like they, they asked me uh, like such a simple questions in my opinion. But for them, it was like an entire different universe—a universe of business development, networking, publishers, and so on. They knew that I had experience pitching before, pitching experience before, negotiation experience that I. Uh, quite a bit big network so they just asked me for help and I started helping them just because I liked them I liked what they were doing and I really saw that their games deserve 
and uh, this is how like the idea of achievers have naturally evolved it's not something that I am so came to my mind overnight and i woke up with a brilliant idea i just started as a consultant i was doing everything for free and then i decided why not to make a business out of it badass it's amazing I'm how because I love it. I've done the very same thing. I've sat down and helped people for for free and, and you know offered advice and then you know that moment when you realize, oh wait a second, let's see it. I can actually make yeah. money doing this and turn this into right. a job. But and that's why Ready? you know we started this show. It's because I had that realization several years ago that we had been doing All we right, as so in you know, my company had been doing this for so long that we had knowledge right. that we assumed everyone else had it fixed but the snarl so it's exactly the same <laughs> yeah it's, it, then it's just a matter of okay how do i get it out there and, and what do i do to pay the bills you know right. in the meantime uh, so you what do you do what does achievers yeah. hub do and, and, and you know if someone wants to get involved obviously so how you know do they submit but walk us through which is sick. what you've I, I done now to turn this passion hand. into and you know, something that actually pays the bills. ISO coming this year. <laughs> okay, uh, well, actually, Chivers have um, helped developers, yeah. They submit the games through our website. We select so the most promising titles, and uh, then we help them get connected to investors, publishers, mentors, someone who can give them business and product advice and who can guide them their games better and uh, at the end of the day we make money out of the deals uh, when developers uh, sign a deal with a publisher or with investor we get a small revenue share in the project um, we're actually working on additional business models now we, we're gonna have more than that soon but uh, during these two years uh, we only get money out of uh, deals and also sometimes we did some side events. This was also one of the things we did and we will continue doing this. Uh, we also want to help developers meet publishers offline sometimes if it's possible. Time to time uh, we do small events usually focused on uh, something uh, like in particular. Uh, for example, in June last year, this year still, uh, we organized a hyper-casual game jam in Kiev and uh, we brought a lot of publishers from uh, all around the world and uh, we, in, like, in front of developers, let developers develop hyper-casual games uh, and uh, as publishers, they guided them and then they were able to listen to the pitches and find uh, some nice games and, and actually like some of them are as far as I know some of them now worry that's the best thing for me to know that something happens out of these introductions so what is the most common mistake that, that you see when it comes to developers you know either getting ready to or actually pitching their projects to publishers Okay, uh, well, probably the most common and the biggest mistake is that sometimes developers get overconfident in their game 
and on one on one hand i understand that this game is like a child to them and they love this game but they just uh this this, this confidence it it just blinds and sometimes they are not sensitive sensitive to they're very sensitive to crit critics they cannot um, process feedback uh, and uh, also one of the biggest mistakes that developers don't even they just they're just making a game they want to make and don't even think of how to make this game attractive to publishers and uh, they sometimes don't even think about uh, business development part of things business part of things at all and uh, well I understand that in our industry product is the king and if you do if you develop a shitty game nothing gonna help you get the publishing uh, if you make a good game, it's just half of the way. You're just half of the way there. You also need to how to present this game in the right way and how to how to negotiate with publishers, how to pitch the project, and how to make your game visible. And so, what are the most basic steps because yeah i mean it's one of the things yep. that we teach too it's like you got to have some thick skin to be able to do this because people are going to tell you things you don't want to hear you know that not everybody yeah. loves your game you know That's uh, true. what's the most basic way that you can see i mean other than you're developing that that thick skin but when developers are starting to pitch to publishers you know what are some of the most basic things that they can do to get ready to the, for that step before they go and do it okay uh well first uh, i would to go a little bit backwards before even pitching the game to the publisher it's also important for a team to realize that they actually need a publisher because there are some teams that are again very confident in themselves overconfident and they don't even realize that they need a publisher and why they need a publisher so first like probably the team should start with um like checking out different opportunities of what they can get from a publisher, what do they really need from a publisher, and then if they like finally realize that they do need a publisher, they would want to pitch a game to a publisher. They like they, I know that there are many developers who are quite shy and. Um, they are maybe not very good uh, public speakers, but you can they can just start pitching the games to each other. As for example, developers meet uh, even here in Ukraine. We have meetups for developers, and I know that there are a lot of indie developers meetups around the world where developers can just meet here and uh, maybe the game to each other, participate in some pitching competition, just uh, try it on people you feel more comfortable comfortable with uh, before pitching it in front of investors publishers and the other serious business guys that developers are usually afraid of uh, so like this is this is the first step and uh, some for some developers it's easier to the game in writing 
not 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 in person and sometimes it's not even possible to feed the game in person because developers might be for example they might develop their little game in a small city let's say in ukraine or russia or belarus and they don't have means to travel and uh, attend the conference so it also makes sense to check how to build your, your, your pitch deck and uh, what to include in a pitch deck and make what, what not include in the pitch deck and uh, what, what should, what should, should, should uh, the first email and how to attract the attention of publishers. So, and, and for those of you out there who are watching, we actually have an infographic that we use at the Powell Group to show you exactly what you need to have in that pitch deck. Um, and so we'll share that shortly when I can pull the link up. But, you know, you brought up a good point in you may be in a small town where you don't have access to you know, the bigger conferences and things like that. And, and recently on the Discord server, you know, one of the teams even mentioned, I mean, he doesn't live in a small town, he lives in Boston. And the concern that he had now was that PAX has gotten so expensive that yeah. it's actually priced out of the range of indie teams. So how does the networking aspect of this factor into, you know, the biz dev and, and all those other things that, that indie devs need to be doing. How can they go and effectively network and meet publishers if they do live in that small town? Uh, okay, yeah, that, 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 that's an interesting question. Uh, first, of course, I mean, uh, it, it's good when there, is, there are some local meetups, but as I always say, if you're an indie developer and there is no meetup, in your town just organize one it's usually quite easy to do and if you don't know how to do it reach out to someone who organizes these meetups in the other city maybe they can help you somehow guide you and tell you what what, what you should do and uh, like this is one of the ways they can do it also there are online events for example i know that you guys also have uh, online pitching and uh, like this is this is the way also to be the game and uh, if the developers don't have if for example they live in a big city or they can't travel to the city but they cannot afford a ticket there are other opportunities to get there are, for example uh, volunteering i know many developers who cannot uh, like uh, who cannot afford a ticket let's say to gdc because it's crazy expensive uh, but uh, like they can apply as a volunteer work organize a little bit and uh, get to, to get to the conference by the way volunteering at the I actually think that this is a great powerful networking tool because uh, this allows you to get in touch with conference organizers who are usually quite good networkers and if you want to uh, widen your network it's good to keep close to those uh, whose network is already quite also, if you're volunteering at the event, you can be somehow get to know speakers, uh, other attendees, and uh, maybe sponsor. And like, I mean, I'm I, I really love working, and I actually think that every connection matters, even if now uh, you don't know how you like what you can get or what you can give to this person that you met. Uh, you you never know what will happen in the future. Like over the eight years I spent in games industry, 
I met a bunch of people and uh, some of the connections they got really useful in, in like four or five years and I was able to help someone or someone was able to help me and when we were already connected for quite a while, changed some jobs, cities and so on. And, and that's a very good point because it's one of the things that we've always told people as well. Yes, our industry is big. You know, there, there's thousands, tens of thousands of companies in it, but it's a small industry in the fact that it doesn't take very many phone calls or emails to find out, you know, about someone. And so that person that you may meet at a show who's a, a QA Tester right now in two years could be a producer and a publisher that you need access to. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's not only about that networking, but it's about you know not being a dick and and don't burn yeah. don't burn bridges because you yeah. never know. I mean, it, it's absolutely crazy how how fast people can come up through this industry. You can't look at everybody as saying, okay, well, you're no use to me right now. It is. I mean, like you said, every single connection matters. And that's right. that's a very good point. So, you know, to rewind just a little bit, you spoke in an interview a couple of years ago when you were founding it. You talked about how developers are concerned about pitching and you know networking, but they need to also focus on how do they make their game attractive to publishers or you know, to marketing teams and that sort of stuff. What are some of the basic things that that they can do to make their game more attractive? Okay, uh, well, first of all, they should need who to pitch this game to. Uh, do some, before pitching the games, do some homework and check what kind of publishers would be probably interested in their games. Because publishers are different, they have different portfolios. And uh, if you know the portfolio of the publisher well, and you can say that, hey, look at my game, it, I think it would fit your portfolio well, and it really fits, more or less, it, it's always good. Uh, also, uh, like developers should understand their market, their niche, their genre, uh, understand who are their target audience. There was a situation, funny situation that actually happened in my life uh, when I asked a developer who was making some bizarre game, uh, what was the target audience for the game? And the developer replied, owners of... <laughs> so, yeah. Quite, uh, wait, how did you cut out big... there? Owners of what? So, mobile phones. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this is the, this is a real story from real life. Yeah, so you probably should know a little bit more about your audience and uh, study the market, uh, learn your know your competitors, and also when developers um, say that we don't have any competitors, it also sounds not very good to publishers because. Uh, you might not have like direct competitors, but you probably have some similar games. And if you have no idea, uh, like you have no projections on how this game gonna earn money, it's not attractive at all. And uh, if you don't know how much money you need, also there are some team development teams that uh, when when you ask them about 
budget, they say, uh, hey, well, we can adjust the budget to your needs. Uh, like, give us just whatever you can give us. And they think that they're being flow, but in reality, it looks like they just don't know what they're building. They don't know, like, about the project. They don't have a roadmap, probably. Uh, so they just they just want to take uh, as much money as they can and then do what they can for this money, which is not not good. Publishers should should should, should understand. Developers know uh, where they had it. Uh, they have a roadmap. They have an understanding of the market. They have an understanding how they fit into this market and fit in in this portfolio. Or they might not. Uh, the game might. Not exactly the way they it, it will look at uh, during the launch is fine it's okay some developers need more polishing sometimes art looks a little bit different but at least also you have to have something to show and uh, I also encourage the first to send a gameplay short gameplay video along with the build so publishers can check the video first and then go to the if they like the video, it like the respect to their time, so they don't spend much time downloading your build if they don't like your gameplay video. Yeah, which also means that your gameplay video should look great. It should uh, highlight the strengths of the game. It should grab attention. It shouldn't be the very beginning of the game, like tutorial part. Uh, it should be something where all the fun. Yeah, that's maybe the same. Yeah, that's a really good point because a lot of people, when they put these demos or these videos together, they do it from the beginning, and so yeah. you know when we sit down and we look at it, either you know, me as the consultant or or publishers, it's like we have to sit through five minutes of tutorial and intro and splash screens before we ever see the game. You want to show the coolest and the most exciting parts of it because you really have a matter of minutes of this person's time before they're going to either completely lose interest or, you know, they're going to go to something else. It is important to put the most exciting stuff up there first. Yeah, and even if you have a long game, you can just send the link with a timestamp to what you want to show and uh, also this also can be true about the uh, sometimes it makes sense to make a vertical slice uh, the first impression of your game not to ask publisher to progress to the level 40 when all the fun starts they would probably abandon your game in, in the first five yeah it, it, it might take a lot of time to say yes, but it usually takes just a few seconds to say no. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we are always looking for a reason to say no. Uh, Andy, we got a question. Yeah, that's what I was just going to read. All right. Nightwolf says, do you have to pay to volunteer or do you get paid as a volunteer? I mean, a volunteer is somebody that just does something okay. for free, right? Um, though, yeah, are you allowed to pitch a game as a volunteer or just network? Volunteer just feels strange in this sense. It depends on the country. They, uh, if you apply as a volunteer, you work one or two days, and you have one or two days free time for yourself. So this is your gratitude. They do not pay volunteers. 
uh, as a gratitude to you, uh, they give you a ticket to the event. They give you one or two, three days, depending on how long is the conference. And during these three days, of course, do whatever you, whatever you, you want. But of course, if you're working, at, for example, at at uh, registration point and there is a publisher who wants to grab their page uh, it probably it's better not to pitch the game <laughs> to them as a volunteer when you when you're on your duty uh, you of course shouldn't pitch it but when you have free time and all volunteers have free, free time they nobody uses them uh, day in and day out like all around the clock you can of course do and, and do what you want and enjoy all right cutting out a lot yeah we are cutting out a lot sorry i don't know what that it's like your your wi-fi is, is is slowing down a little bit so yeah i mean you you got a point you, when you're volunteering you don't want to you know sign someone into the conference and give them their badge and then you know hand them a demo at the same time but that i mean that's the way i know game daily connect works is you volunteer one day of the conference and then you get a pass to go to the rest of the conference on your own and i think gc something very similar yeah i think most of the conference do the same even if it's uh, like a two-day event they usually only use volunteers who are on day one or day two and you have one free day at least so when we're looking at a, lot, at a lot of these developers, the majority of the ones that come to us, and I'm uh, assuming the same, or same is true for the ones that, that come to you at, at the Achievers Hub, they're either early stage or they're mid-stage. And by mid-stage, I mean they've either done some games as a studio or they've done enough games as individuals to realize they need help on the business and marketing side. What you know, steps do those developers need to take or need to go through early on in, in, and in that intermediate stage to help fuel their growth? Okay, uh, yeah, well, it's really important for the first to think about the business side game from the early stages and to start thinking about how they're gonna pitch the game to publishers early on. Let's uh, like have we have mentors who help us develop and uh, these mentors usually have a background in publishing, in business, sometimes in field, so they can look at these games and uh, provide some feedback on how the how attractive the game looks for publishers at this stage so it's very important to ask for feedback from the early stages and even if you have just a very concept um, i encourage everyone to go to the conferences if they can and like or talk to, to uh, as many people with experience as, as they can and show the game and ask how they like because like it's easier to change something on the early stage than uh, to change something later on and uh, i have i have uh, a story i have uh, the experience of uh, helping developers uh, who has been traveling to the conferences since very like early stage first playable and uh i, I like i saw how the, their games was changed um depending on the feedback they got and uh, the publishers 
at this event they also could see how uh, this team can uh, c can implement the feedback they give uh, in it's very good uh, very good skill for the team to show how they can work feedback so it's it's, it's there is nothing bad in showing game publishers early nothing bad happen uh, you, you you just like the, the earlier you get the feedback you can implement the uh, like, feedback the better for you yeah I, I had a question that came out of that and now i've already forgotten yeah. it uh, <laughs> <laughs> it happens yeah my my brain went, went sideways there um so, you know, growing that company is is obviously vitally important. And so when you start, you mentioned when you started at iLogos, it was, it was very small. By the time you left, it was 300 and some people. So yeah. what, was the, what was the secret to that growth? I mean, what did you do along the ways? Because there's a lot of studios out there that are in the same place that, that iLogos was back then, where they're trying to get one or two contract development gigs going. Yeah. What were some of the, the strategies and, and that whole little secret sauce to growing, you know, that company and working with people like Rovio and some of these giant studios that you worked with? Yeah, well, um, when I think about it, sometimes I think that we were just uh, in the right place in the right time. Uh, because when we started uh, the company, when Maxine started the company in 2006, and then I joined the company in 2011, and we uh, started working uh, actively on games, because before that, the company was just an outsourcing company for different kinds of uh, ITO. In 2010, 2011, I started focusing on games. Um, back then, there were not that many game development companies in Ukraine in general, and uh, especially in our like, city, Lugansk, uh, there were almost no opportunities for developers to work in the games industry. But on the other hand, we had uh, two big universities uh, who also, like, in the, uh, like from these universities, uh, like there was there was a bunch of developers, engineers, uh, who graduated from these universities every year, and uh, many liked games. Many of them wanted to work in the games industry, and not that company, not many companies would provide this. So on one hand, it was I believe it was quite easy for us to hire people, and we had people to choose from so we could really build a nice team and on the other hand uh, the cost of living as i already mentioned Ukraine is relatively like small low comparing to western europe and comparing to north america so it makes sense for these big companies to uh, to, 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 to work with us because we could provide on one hand a high uh, level, high uh, high quality services on the other hand for a relatively low price. And um, yeah, but we were not the only, of course, we were not the only game development outsourcing company in Ukraine and in, in uh, Eastern Europe, but somehow we grew up so fast. Um, I think maybe because we working with uh, western companies quite early and we started adapting uh, 
uh, way how Western companies um, like the, the way they, they, they made their own business because in in ukraine and uh, in other russian-speaking post-ussr countries uh business approaches are slightly different and sometimes uh it's quite hard uh, to 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 work with uh eastern european com company with russian-speaking company the companies from abroad because there is a slightly different mentality different approaches <laughs> Some of them, they don't even speak English good enough to conduct negotiations. And uh, we started working, we really wanted to work with more Western companies and uh, also companies from all around the world. Uh, so uh, we started, expo started expanding our geography and uh, we, start, we tried to get the best, the best practices out of uh, working with this company and uh, implement it internally so we could speak the same language with this company and uh, yeah so so it was important for us always to be flexible and to try to adapt uh, the, the culture if i can say business culture of our clients and yeah, this is, I believe this was one of the ways why we succeeded. Quite a strong top management team. Uh, when I became a CEO in 2015, um, I like, I, 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 the, probably the best thing that we had dialogues and the, the thing that I'm mostly proud of is my executive team that we worked with uh, until the end of 2016. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it was important to hire not only people with good hard skills, but also soft skills and make sure that all key members of the team can not only deliver high quality games, but can also communicate, build company, build the structure, uh, talk to, uh, to, to talk to our clients. So what are some of those, I mean, that's a very good point about the soft skills. Obviously, you're going to need people with experience in art or engineering or, you know, whatever it goes into making the game. But what are some of those soft skills that, you know, are vitally important to being successful as well? Okay, so uh, some of the skills that I already mentioned are their opportunity to uh, give and receive feedback. It's very important uh, to do it in the right way. Um, communication skills, uh, opportunity to and like to deliver your your thought, deliver your vision to the team, and uh, convince the team that this is the right thing to do. And uh, yeah, so what else? Uh, of course, I wouldn't mention some some skills like time management and so on because it's vital for for everyone and for every industry. Uh, however, it's quite quite important for game development because uh, there are a lot of uh, artistic people and not all of them work uh, with deadlines and uh, under pressure. So it's really important to for, for people to learn how to uh, organize the work and, uh, how to make every time and uh, probably for, for the best the, the, for me the most important skill is uh, teamwork uh, the, the 
ability to work in team and uh, willingness to cooperate with the team. Uh, I've known a lot of amazing developers and artists who are great professionals but very bad team players and uh, neither of them succeeded like to the extent that the, the people had good team player skills. Yeah, that, that's why we, we start companies instead of working within them. Because, you know, not, I'm not always the best team player. The, um, so let's switch gears just a little bit and we'll get into something that you and I talked about that you, know, you, you ask if you want to get into it. Given the world's political climate right now, you in particular, and I know plenty of others, you're having to switch up and and change your conference strategy, basically, because you can't get a visa to come into the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is what unfortunately happened. Yeah. Um... Yes, so so you you want me to tell the story, right? Well, I mean, yeah, um, and how it has affected you know more so the the changes and the pivots that you've had to make to continue to grow the company when you basically get cut off from some of these markets. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the story, like the story, is the following: I had my U.S. visa. I got my U.S. visa in um, 2013. Uh, it was a five year long, like it was a visa, five years, five years long visa. And uh, I traveled to GDC every year since then. And I traveled the other US conferences. And like I came back and forth, never violated any, never overstayed or something. And uh, yes, so, so for me, when I applied for the new visa, and in the beginning of 2018, it would be, it was quite obvious that I was going to, to, to get it. I didn't have any, I even didn't have the possibility in mind that something might, and uh, I, I already, I already booked my tickets because I was so confident. Uh, I've been there, I came back, and it's, it's obvious that I'm going to the conference. I'm working in the games industry, but unfortunately, uh, when they asked me, like when uh, they, they actually asked me to come to the interview, uh, it, it it actually took quite a rough angle. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, at some point I realized that they asked me to show up uh, only because they wanted to reject it from the very beginning. Uh, because the points that the visa officer was making were like ridiculous. Like they somehow uh, accused me of having a, chi- a child in the US or something like that. But I don't have any kids, and this is just ridiculous. And at some, when I was making it like clear points, he said, "Okay, I don't believe." You. So it's very hard to argue with someone who just says. I don't believe you, and that's it. And you just don't know how to prove that you haven't worked for your American company, you haven't had a kid in the U.S. Yeah, after that, I applied again, and uh, I got another rejection. Then I consulted with consultants, visa consultants, and they said that it was a common thing uh, for Ukrainians back then, especially if I woman unfortunately and uh, if I don't have family here so they consider me as a very uh, dangerous person for the US 
<laughs> and yeah, <laughs> uh, who can stay there and so on. And actually, the fact that I am a founder of my own business doesn't help at all because they know that there is no boss for me who can fire me if I don't get back. Uh, so yeah, I, I, the situation is quite. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to how to say it. I mean, I understand that the U.S. is the like has a system this is a country where there is a system but in my mind uh if you work or if you if you play by rules uh system should protect you not uh punish you and if you play by rules and system punishes you that it means that there is probably something wrong with but yeah it, uh, this happened and uh, i wasn't able to get to the us since 2017 so i had to skip gdc's and all the other events in the u.s um luckily i have a canadian visa and go there so at least i can meet some of the north american game developers in canada and uh it, it's it's good for me that i already haven't worked with, with this um, publishers and investors from the u.s so we can set up the calls before or after GDC. And when everybody else said GDC, I set up calls after GDC. And yeah, at the, mo at the moment I have a team, when I like started the Achievers Hub, it was just me. And of course, if I couldn't go somewhere, nobody else could represent Achievers. But now I have three more team members. So hopefully, if I if I won't be able to get uh, another U.S. visa, maybe someone from my uh, will be able to get a visa. For example, my business partner, uh, he's a male and he has a wife and kids in Ukraine, so it probably should help. <laughs> but anyway, it's not fair. It's not how it should work. It's absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's. It's crazy. I mean, because no, we're on the same level. But I mean, as as a, a CEO myself, there are situations where they're like, "We'll prove your employment with a paycheck," and I'm like, "I'm the one that writes the paychecks. How is that going to yeah. affect any? You know, that's not going to help any of us." And so, but so what? You know, like you said, you, you've got other team members who may be able to to get a visa to come into the U.S. But you know, if this keeps up, we're quickly approaching a point where, not only in this industry, but for a lot of industries, we're basically sectioning off the country. So, you know, yeah. you're, you know, going to end up working with more European or Canadian or South American developers and publishers than you are for yeah. the U.S. because you know, they think you're coming here to, to find a baby that you left that you don't have. Right. And so, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, let's, let's hope it changes. Yeah, but I think that maybe it would make sense if uh, there would be some possibilities to influence the situation from uh, the like, games industry side. Uh, when I was at GDC in 2016, probably, I was in the panel, uh, One Reason to Be, uh, moderated by Rami Ismail. Uh, there were different people from different countries, and we were talking about how to 
make gains in uh, third world countries. Uh, and uh, I think that some of them mentioned, some of them definitely mentioned visa problems. I didn't have it back then. Some of them, they had to apply for three or four times before they actually get approved. And uh, and, and this, this, these people, they didn't stay in the U.S. And, but, but it's almost impossible to prove that you're not intending to immigrate. So maybe we should do something from the industry side. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing with, you know, there's more conferences. I mean, God knows. I mean, if you have the travel budget, you can go to a different game conference every week all year long. There's a ton of conferences out there. But yeah. one of the reasons that Rami went and did the big game dev global conference that was online that he did was because one of the women that was supposed to be on that panel, you know, on the one reason yeah. why panel couldn't attend because she was from the Middle East and she got her visa denied. And so it was like, this is exactly the point. You know, we can't, you know, as a community continue to share knowledge and, you know, network and do all this stuff effectively if we have asinine barriers in the way like we do. And so... Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's one of the reasons that we do our online event as well. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> so if you're out there, we, we've still got about 10, 15 minutes. If you've got questions about biz dev, marketing, networking, any of that as an indie dev, toss them up in chat wherever you're watching us, and, you know, we'll see it on our little chat screen, and, and we'll pass it along to Alina. So... One of the cool things that you're doing at Achievers Hub is your your mentor system where yep. you know developers have access to you know what 20 or 30 different experts in, in different areas. How has that you know worked out and what are some of the you know success stories that have come out of the the hub or that mentor philosophy so far? Okay, uh well this funny thing is that in the beginning, when I started Achievers, I had in mind like the primary uh, primary goal would be to connect developers with publishers and investors, help them pitch the games, help them build the presentations, and mentorship uh, appeared as something like secondary, something that would help these developers uh, make the games better. Then, after two years of Achievers have uh, existence, I realized that, and develop, and this is what developers say to me that mentorship is actually the main part, uh, because most of them, uh, they they don't even uh, have a viable product uh, if they like, if they, they wouldn't have a viable product to pitch to investors and public if mentors didn't help them. And we have, actually, we have more than one hundred, but of course, uh, not all of them team uh, some of them work with only one team at a time some of them work with two three teams uh, it always depends on the mentors workload because all of them they have a primary job of course some of them are some of them represent publishers and so for them it's a great opportunity to find talents early and to get involved in the project on the early stages and to make more informed decisions uh, whether we invest in this game or not. 
some of these uh, mentors they are they they, they are found uh, indie game companies themselves but they already became successful and they want to share they want to give back to the community and to give feedback to the developer and uh, it, it happened that developers who would like to achieve it have changed uh, projects quite a lot after working with Mentor. Some of them, they had a great idea, not only play version, but they didn't know, they had different ideas in mind of what they're going to make of this game. For example, one team, uh, they made the casual project, but they thought of maybe making it more like move into hyper casual direction or move to more like hardcore and play mechanics so they talked to several mentors that actually mentors have different opinions and it's all but they gathered feedback they analyzed it and they decided to make a hyper casual game and there were negotiations with publishers so hopefully it's gonna be out soon yeah and uh, yes yeah, so, so so like mentorship is uh, they think that our developers usually name first when ask them when somebody asks them about achievers we had a feedback form for developers and we asked them to say like what is the most useful for you or also first have in a few words and them mentioned publishers some don't some of them mentioned events and webinars some don't but every team mentioned mentorship and how beneficial it was, it was an experience it was not a primary thing that i like wanted the achievers have to be but yeah it is it is like a making between developers and mentors in a way <laughs> And it is. You know, if you talk to two or three or, or a dozen of mentors, you know, experts, so to speak, like us, you're going to get a whole lot of different opinions on, you know, a variety of things. But it's important to developers to get that feedback early on because many times I see developers and they're, they're so secretive and they don't want to tell anyone about what they're doing because it might, you know, somebody might steal the idea. You know, the first thing you have to keep in mind is ideas are cheap. Ideas are a dime pleasant. Everybody has game ideas. It's yeah, a matter of how you nothing, yeah. yeah. And, and so it's good to go ahead and get that feedback from folks who have been in the industry and that way you know you can learn from not only what they did right but also learn from what they did wrong because you know the good mentors are going to be the ones that said look I did something similar and it went horribly bad and this is why and you know this is what I would do to avoid it and so I, I mean I believe firmly that we need to have more of these mentor you know opportunities available for developers uh, it, it's something that I've wanted to do on the discord for a long time and it just hasn't got down to that list so you know it's, it's absolutely wonderful that you've got this space for, for them to come in and say hey look here's the questions that I have, or, or here's the project that I'm working on, and, and what do you think about it? Yeah. Uh, well, one more thing that I want to add about mentorship is that uh, it's important to find but 
developers shouldn't should remember all the time that this is their project and the end and decision is there so they shouldn't uh like they should listen to, to feedback but shouldn't consider it as a like plan to act uh it's it's always a person bring this game and of course as i said mentors might have different views depending on their background uh, but at the end uh, it's important to to make to know where you had it to make out of the game have it in mind <laughs> when we first did the big list of 500 some publishers that we put out there for free, I'll, I'll never forget. I posted it on Reddit and somebody on there was, was pushing back on how you pitch to publishers. And I said, look, they said, what do you know? And I'm like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've, I've pitched countless, you know, different games. And this is what I've seen. And this is what you need to do. And they said, well, <laughs> well, I think your advice is really bad, and I'm not going to listen to it. And I'm like, okay, you okay. don't have to. That's you know, that's your prerogative. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, that's the point. Sometimes mentors they just ask right questions. Sometimes they don't even tell what you do. They just ask the questions in the right way, so you understand yourself uh, what you should do. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's it's just important for to have someone who can listen to you and listen to your crazy idea and then describing it and then you have some new ideas in mind and while you about it, sometimes you already realize that it's not gonna work probably. <laughs> so sometimes it, 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 it's important just to at least have someone to, 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 to listen to you and uh, someone to ask the right questions. And, and it's not just for the, for, for new companies either. It's like even I, you know, bounce ideas off of people early on. And, and, you know, you can go on the podcast list and we had a great interview with, with Adam Crichton. And the whole thing was about why it's important to have a mentor. Yeah, um, I have a mentor myself. We, yeah, we, we all should. I love mentors, yeah. And, and and the thing is, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who is your senior or who has been doing this longer than than you have. It's like one of the basic the newer folks out there can sometimes be a great sounding board or a mentor because they're approaching things differently, and it may not be the way that you know we've been doing it for 20 years maybe there's a new way you're not going to know until you you know talk to some of these other people yeah uh, maybe even from a different industry to have yeah. a fresh new view yep it's, it's, I'm one that's like really bad about I get really interested in different business models you know even outside of our industry and so you know, I'll meet somebody who runs a certain company and I'm asking them all kinds of random questions. It's like, well, how do you find an audience? How do you do social media? How do you do all this? Because I want to know, because there may be something that, you know, they're doing that could work in our industry as well, but we hadn't thought of it yet. Um, we, we got another question. Another question oh, sorry, from Facebook. Yay. Uh, yay. From Taylor Moore. Taylor says, can you tell us what investors are looking for? And can you do that <laughs> in two minutes? No. Yeah, do that in two minutes, please. No. The, the investors are looking for 
great projects to invest in. <laughs> right. They're looking so, for things that are entertaining, right? Yeah, actually, I mean, that's, that's, every investor is looking for something different, of course, but at the end of the day, they're just looking for uh, something that would uh, fit their portfolio and the great team they can work with. Uh, by the way, this is important. Not only concentrate on project, but also uh, think about your team and your strengths as a team. And uh, they are looking for for passionate founders also with great talented teams who develop great projects. Yeah, that's it. I feel like they also look for like uh, companies that they can make the most amount of money in the easiest possible way, right? That's like the bottom line is money, right? That's a crazy business model. <laughs> I mean, but that's no, really it, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, like, the investors are also different. If you're talking about VCs or angels, yeah, might be slightly different seed investors or, like, later stage investors. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is they're just looking for... Uh, yeah, there is another question. The bottom line is they're just looking for something that's going to make them money. If they look at something and say, this isn't going to make them money, no matter how awesome the devs are or great the team, they're not going to do it, right? Yeah. Okay, so another question from Taylor. At what state of development is it best to show an investor? Okay, that, that's a good question. Again, uh, it depends on the type of investor. As I said, some of them are seed investors and they're looking for projects to invest early on, they would probably want to be involved uh, like quite hands-on if they're looking for early stage projects, they would to somehow influence the way you, 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 you the way the game develops. Uh, some investors are looking for later stages. Uh, no one is looking for Super, super late stage, for example, uh, like early access on Steam, let's, when you cannot change anything. Most of investors, they want to be able to at least provide some feedback that can be implemented. So, again, it's important to know like who you pitch the game to. There are several investors in our network. Who only look at the uh, who only look at the early stage project and several investors who only look at the um, intermediate and uh, later stage project. So it's really like know your audience. All right, we have a, one more question yep. from Hitoshi Hitoshi Kano on YouTube. Should you include things like market research you've done for your genre to maybe convince them that this can make money? That's that's cool. If you've done it, load it in a pitch deck. Uh, of course, it can convince some some some. Let's say, especially if this investor is uh, not the rest. It sometimes happens that the investors is not from games industry. For example, it also can be uh, that you attract money from other industries and uh, market can really convince them. But even if uh, the investor has their own uh, research. Uh, the fact that you made the research, that, that you that you're aware of position about the market uh, is convincing itself. So it's uh, it's really cool. If, yeah. Oh, another question from Nightwolf. Here we go. Would it be easier 
or better to show off the demo of your game via a demo video or a YouTube streamer gameplay video? Uh, that, I, I don't think it really matters. If you have both, it's cool, but I think it's, it, it, does, it doesn't really matter if there is a streamer or it's just a record of a gameplay. The main, uh, like, when, when someone looks at gameplay video, uh, they probably have one main question in mind, uh, and this is how this, like, how to play this game and uh, how fun is this game? Is it fun to play or not? Uh, so, like, both videos can answer this question. If, if your video is cool and it shows that your game is fun, that uh, you have a cool, engaging gameplay, it doesn't matter. In, in many ways, if you have a streamer do it, and this is the, because I know, Andy, you've done some of these as well. You, you're showing the, the investor or the publisher two things. One, that you know, there is an interest in this game from the influencer point of view, which is a huge part of marketing now. But two, you've got someone who is you know, very well versed in how to keep an audience engaged and, you know, verbally speaking through, you know, a lot of the things that you're thinking while you're playing the game, it's, you know, I always recommend if you've got access to a, especially, you know, a more well-known influencer, get them to do it because it can really drive the engagement. And, and when I first started doing the show, Indy was prepping me and giving me tips on on streaming in general and one of the first things he said was you know you've got to make sure you're you know saying something every five seconds or so you know to keep the audience engaged and, and when you're showing that demo to a publisher it's great to have someone doing that because one they're not automatically assuming someone, you know, the, the player knows what to do in the game, but you're also being able to show the internal, you know, that first time user experience from somebody fresh. You know, if, if it's me, we always recommend that, you know, get an influencer to do it. Even if it's not live, get an influencer to record it because you're going to get, you're going to end up with a much more engaging video. Or maybe you can just record like play it and comment somehow i mean the developer can do it to make it more engaging yeah, yeah we could do a whole new webinar on you know how to make <laughs> demos that's that's a, but yeah for the folks out there who are listening and aren't watching chat and everything else that's one of the things i want to bring in mind bring up is it is very when we're talking about investors and publishers anyway it is very different when you're pitching to an investor versus into pitching to a publisher and if you go to powellgroupconsulting.com slash webinars. We have two free webinars that we do, one for you know each route of, of how you pitch to publishers and how you pitch to investors. Those are completely free. You can register for them. And even if you can't show up live for them, they'll, you know, the system sends you the video uh, the next day. So we recognize that it's not something everybody knows and we try to get out there and do it as, you know, teach people as well. Um, Alina, I mean, are, is there anything else that you want to, to cover? I know we're over our time and I don't want to keep you, you know, too occupied, uh, especially since it's the end of your day. Actually, I just, there is one thing that came to my mind uh, later, just uh, the ways how to get to the conference, if the tickets are too expensive. 
and it reminded me of pronunciation in the past when I was at Ilogos. Uh, once I went to Dice in Vegas and it's quite an expensive event, it's a very expensive event and uh, we didn't have enough budget to buy me a normal ticket so uh, the company bought me a party pass, uh, the one that gave access only to parties so it means I could go to parties and network which is by the way also very important for networking sometimes even better because people are more just don't try to pitch something after midnight <laughs> especially if everybody is drunk but anyway uh, yeah so, so during it means that during the day I was like I had basically nothing to do because I was not allowed to attend uh, the sessions with my ticket type uh, but it happened in 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 the Lana Hotel, and that um, everything happened on the sixth or seventh floor. And but many people had meetings on on the ground floor in lobby bar and so on. So I just hang around. Sometimes I just talk to someone casually, and it was an informal meeting. And uh, I realized that many people just go back and forth uh, using the elevator. So I just started going also back and forth using the elevator. And I met some people in the elevator like, hey, oh, you're also here for this. Hey, me too. And uh, I, I, I literally had elevator pitch every maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> like... <laughs> This is about using all the opportunities that you have. So if you cannot buy a ticket, there are many ways to, to get somehow close to publishers and investors and pitch your game to them. If you're creative enough. It's, it's, I had a developer several years ask me, they were going to GDC for the first time, and they're like, well, we also need to be working on our games, so we're going to go to the conference during the day, and then we're going to work on the games during the evening. And, and I said, if you've got limited time, you're doing that backwards, because there's very little business that actually happens on the show floor at these conferences. It all happens at the parties and in the hotel lobbies and things like that. I said, save your money. Don't get a pass. Work on your game during the daytime and then go out and network and talk to people, you know, at the W or, you know, whichever hotel you were, you're at at GDC, go out and, and do that, do your networking in the evening because that's where everything happens anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, I Alina, thank you so much for coming on i highly appreciate it if anyone wants to check out so what's the website for achievers hub before i just like rattle it off and i'm wrong uh i b-i-z so you broke up we can post we can we can post it somewhere right yeah Exactly. Yeah, we'll put it in the descriptions. Also, you guys join the Discord, discord.gg slash indie game business. We're we almost up to Thank 700, so right? Yeah, let me, I, can, I can actually check while we're live and see where we're, where we're at here. But yeah, we've got 600 and some companies represented on the Discord, and, and it's a great place to 
you know, talk to our guests that are on here and, you know, ask questions in general, because we got everybody from developers to publishers to marketing firms, all kinds of folks on there. Um, so yeah, check us out. If you're watching live, you can get the podcast at anchor.fm slash indie game business, or you can like and follow any of our numerous streams on YouTube, Facebook, which mixer just look for indie game business and you'll find us search and you thank will find you. us yes thanks elena thank, thank you, you for so much. having me thank you for your questions <laughs> bye everybody very well bye i'll see you at the industry event <laughs> yes exactly bye bye everyone bye Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.